Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, we read about something that is supposed to be highly valued, a prized possession. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is a highly prized possession. It could be translated that way. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God says we're supposed to value marriage. It is a valuable thing. And, and I realize that today, in large part, I'm preaching to the choir. But I'm going to preach because you have to go out where the choir isn't and stand up and say, hey, folks, marriage is valuable. If you want to know what is right in the area of marriage and sexuality, read Hebrews 13.4. And if you want to define what is wrong, take this verse and say that's okay and everything else is outside of it. Marriage is honorable or highly valuable among all and the bed undefiled. What is the value of marriage? Well, the primary value of marriage is that it was created by God. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? God created marriage. And that is in large part why we should not mess with it. Genesis 2.18 And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam. Verse 19 of Genesis 2. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. God created human beings to function best in marriage. Now I want you to listen really carefully to what I say today, because I'm not trying to say you must be married in order to be spiritual. Because 1 Corinthians 7 makes it very clear that that is not the case. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 makes it clear that God may specially enable some people to live happily and joyfully in their singleness. And for that we give praise. 
But God makes it clear when he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. See, God created Adam and he put him on the earth with all the animals. So Adam wasn't completely alone, if you will. He had his favorite dog, Shep, or whatever his name was. But it's not an accident, the, 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 the chronology of how God did things. It's not good that the man should be alone, verse 18. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. So what does God do? He immediately creates the animals and brings them to Adam to be named. They said, wait a minute. God said he was going to make a helper for Adam. Why did God do this? God did this so that Adam would realize he was alone. Here came all the animals. They all paraded by, by God's, uh, by God's command. And Adam said, that's a cow, and that's a duck, and so on and so forth. Adam named them all. And then all of a sudden, they got to the end of the line, and Adam went, you know what? I've been noticing something. These folks are coming by in pairs, and I don't have one. And when we come down to verse 23, I can just hear Adam, when he, when he wakes up and looks at Eve, he goes, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. See, he'd been looking at animal flesh and animal bone, if you will, and saying, well, that, you know, well, that's a real great, but where's mine? He says, this is now my comparable person. God created human beings to function best in marriage. It is not good for the man to be alone. Obviously, God created us different. And that is for a purpose. And we really shortchange ourselves when we fail to appreciate the difference between men and women and want to make our mate to be like us. God made us different and made us to be comparable or suitable together, a pair, a matched set. God created us to be complementing. He says there, I'm going to make a helper that is comparable to him, verse 18. And then in verse 20, he says it again, a helper comparable to him or suitable to him. Certainly a big part of this word is I'm going to make him another human being. That's, what, that's the, the, the root part of being comparable. But it certainly goes beyond that in saying, I'm going to make what he needs. Now, was it Adam and Eve or Adam and Steve? When God set about to make what Adam needed, it was a woman. Now, if you want to know what's wrong with homosexual marriage, you start right here in creation. And if God had intended for two men or two women to be what was necessary, appropriate, best, good, valuable, use the word you want to use, he would have created it that way. Now, you can twist the scriptures and you can mess with them any way you want and make them say anything you want to say. But what did God do in creation? And what did Adam need? He needed a woman. And most of the rest of us have figured that out also, that that is what we need. And it is God's blessing that has given marriage to us. God created the institution of marriage right here. You realize, of course, Adam and Eve didn't have any parents to leave. 
Look at verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother. Uh, hello? Obviously, Adam and Eve didn't write the scripture. We, we understand perhaps that Moses did. But by God's inspiration, he says, here's what marriage is. God knew that Adam needed Eve, and he created a matched set. Jesus reiterated this in Matthew 19. And just as a little bit, again, of encouragement as we go by on this important point, learn from the differences of your mate. If you're a man, learn from your wife and the differences that she brings to marriage and, and vice versa if you're a wife. So God created us to be complementing. Number three, God created marriage to be the primary human relationship. I believe that's the truth of verse 24. Why would God need to say this about Adam and Eve? He did not. And yet he clearly says when these two come together, they become one. They become a separate entity from their families of origin. God created marriage to be the primary human relationship. For those of you that are married, I would challenge you to seriously consider this. The parent-child relationship is temporary. You say, wait a minute, Dave, wait a minute. <laughs> Once I give birth to this child, it will always be my child. Oh, that's right. But God clearly says here, there comes a point in a person's life when they leave father and mother and are joined to the one they marry. If you are in-laws or outlaws today, stop and take a step back and say, you know what, when my kids get married, they are a new entity before God. I need to let them have their autonomy before God. If you are a young couple, you need to consider that God wants you two to be together and to be a separate entity. And there needs to be a necessary change of relationship. Husbands and wives need to cling to each other. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Parents, don't love your child more than you love your spouse. Now, I know that sounds like heresy in today's society. But I'm here to tell you, your marriage relationship is intended by God to be permanent until death do you part. And the relationship you have with your children is intended to be temporary in one sense and permanent in another. And you need to give a priority to your husband or to your wife. Number four, God created marriage in perfection. Genesis chapter 1 gives us the summary of creation. Genesis chapter 2 gives us detail. And so if we go back now to Genesis 1, we read in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and so on. And we drop down to verse 31. Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Marriage is valuable because it was created by God. Right off the top, that's it. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. It's, if God saw fit to create it, we should not try to change it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 now, if you would. 
We want to look at a second reason that marriage is valuable. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. He, Jesus, is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Drop down to verse uh, 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. God makes it abundantly clear in this passage, and you should spend some time meditating on it, and meditating on it from this perspective, if you never have, that God values marriage in so much that he has made it a picture of the love between Christ and the church, the church being composed of all believers in Jesus as their Savior. All believers of all time are part of the church, big C, the body of Christ. And God has made marriage to be a picture of the love between Christ and the church. The husband is to sacrificially love. And by the way, husbands, if you get the word leadership in that equation without the word sacrificial love, you are missing this passage. I believe husbands are to lead. I don't think there's any doubt about that in the scripture. God puts leadership in the hands of men in the church and in the home. But this passage commends you husbands to be sacrificial lovers of your wife. This movie, The Passion of Christ, has, has renewed a lot of people's vision for the depths that Christ went to for us. He didn't just sit up in heaven and say, well, boy, I sure, I sure love you a lot. He, he shed his life's blood for us. That is sacrificial love. And the church is to respond to that sacrificial love by saying, you are my Loving leader, I will follow you. And that is to be a picture of what goes on, or excuse me, marriage is to be a picture of that relationship. God honored marriage by establishing it. Jesus honored marriage by performing his first miracle at a wedding. The Holy Spirit honored marriage by using it to picture the church in the New Testament. That's a quote from John MacArthur. Christian husband... You are demonstrating the sacrificial love of Christ for his church. Christian wife, you are to be demonstrating the willing submission of the church to Christ. How are you doing? That is our standard, folks. My standard for loving my wife is not what she expects. My standard is way, way higher than that because my standard is the love of Christ. And you know what? I'm not there yet. How are you doing on loving your husband by following him, Christian wife? God values marriage so much that he made it a picture now let's turn this picture just a little bit more before we go on here. Husbands, would Christ abuse the church? 
Would he use her in a selfish way? Would he not have her best interest at heart? Wives, is it acceptable for the church, that is us Christians, to be constantly demanding things of Christ? Is it acceptable for us to be consistently questioning Christ's guidance? I'd better move on before I lose my job. Hey, this is a high standard, isn't it, folks? And it's not my standard, it's God's standard. Unmarried friends, as you contemplate the possibility of marriage, you should consider how you will live out this picture. Would Christ welcome an unbeliever, now that's a person who has never put faith in him, would he welcome an unbeliever into relationship with himself? No, not until they become a believer. Would he enter halfway into marriage, just the sexual half of marriage, without the other half of commitment? You see, we need to think about marriage way different than we normally do, folks. We need to say this is a, to be a picture of the love between Christ and the church. I need to take it seriously. As we come back to Hebrews 13, 4, all of this comes into this little phrase, marriage is honorable. It is valuable. It is to be prized. God has created it. The Holy Spirit has used it to picture for us the relationship. Marriage is valuable. The second thing we understand in Hebrews 13.4 is this. Marriage is to be virtuous. There is a virtue that is required of marriage. Look what he says. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Undefiled. What does that mean? That means that when God created a man and a woman and he told them, be fruitful and multiply... And when he got done with creation and he said, it is kind of good. Well, parts of it are good, but parts of it are not that great. Oh, you should never talk about this part. Now, I want to say real loud and real strong today for everybody that's here, God created sex. And God intends it to be pleasurable and procreative. God wants us to enjoy our husband or our wife in marriage. And if your opinion about the physical relationship in marriage is different than that, you need to take a real good hard look at the scripture. We're not going to take time to look there today, but in 1 Corinthians 7, God says to the husband, your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your wife. And he says to the wife, your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your husband. Therefore, stop depriving one another. The physical relationship in marriage should never be used as a tool of manipulation. Don't ever let me hear you say, you're sleeping on the, on the couch tonight. If you can't get your problem solved by sundown, that's the first sin in your marriage and the second sin is one of depriving one another he says there's only one valid reason for depriving one another of the physical relationship and that is by mutual agreement for the purpose of prayer 
I've never had a Christian come in and say, my spouse made a year-long commitment to prayer. By mutual agreement for the purpose of prayer. And then he says, be careful, because if you mess this up, you will give an occasion for sin. I want to be careful as I talk about this because I think God is careful, but I think sometimes we haven't said enough. And I think somehow people have gotten the impression that we think this is wrong. Do you know that there is a major, major church in the world that teaches, at least in some parts of the world, that the only time when it is acceptable to have sex is for the purpose of bearing children, and it is not right any other time. Friend, that is not what God says. God says, stop depriving one another. Sex in marriage is a good thing. That's God's divine place of sexual expression. That's why this verse is so important. Do you want to know what is sexually acceptable for the Christian? Here it is. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Do you know why it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage? Because marriage is honorable, and that bed is the only one that is undefiled. That's the point. Do you want to know why it's wrong to have an affair? Because marriage is honorable, and that bed is the only one that is undefiled. Sex in marriage is a good thing. Secondly, sex in marriage is an exclusive thing. The marriage bed is undefiled, but every other bed is defiled. That is clearly inferred in this passage. And of course, it's, it's spoken about numerous times in the Bible. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 talks about the positive and the negative of, of maintaining your relationship in marriage. And, and by the way, if this is something that is piquing your interest a little bit, you might just make a note in your notes. Read Proverbs 5 and 6 this week. It would be a great passage for you to meditate on. If you are struggling in the area of temptation, read Proverbs 5 and 6 this week. If you want to know how to have a better marriage, read Proverbs 5 and 6 this week. Proverbs 5.1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion, discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. Let me just say in passing, I don't intend to spend a lot of time here, the temptation to immorality that you will see in the world will be just like that. Sweeter than honey, smoother than oil. I think, oh, 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 that, oh, that looks so good. Now, he could have easily put here an immoral man or an immoral woman. God is not sexist. He doesn't think it's okay for men to be immoral and women not to be. Clearly, this passage bears that out. So don't, please don't get the wrong idea. Let's drop down now. We don't have time to look at the whole passage. Look at verse 8. Remove your way far from her, from the immoral woman, and do not go near the door of her house. In the New Testament, it reads this way. Make no provision for your sinful nature to... Uh, to uh, 
Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Stay away as far as you have to. Verse 15. Here's the positive thing that I want to get to. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Boy, some of you are thinking, Pastor Dave, we haven't read that passage in church before. Maybe that's the reason we've had some problem. And I'm not talking about right now. I'm just saying historically in the church, Lord, I have a, I have a friend with the church just multiple problems like this. You know what he says there, friends? Sex in marriage is an exclusive thing. Men, do you want to enjoy your wife more? Look at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Verse 18, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Here's the practical lesson. Obviously, God is saying, don't have an affair. Okay? And if you've never heard anybody say that in church, I want to say it today. Don't have an affair. It's a sin. Don't call it anything else. It's a sin. But here's what I want to say that will help you not to have an affair. Focus all of your thinking on your wife. Why should your streams be dispersed abroad? Why should you give energy to looking at a naked woman on the internet? Why give your energy there? Why be looking at the woman at church, and, or at, I hope not at church, not at work, and thinking wrong relational thoughts there? Why disperse your energies? Why not focus on your wife, every time you are tempted to look or think or touch or anything else, you say, no, I'm going to focus on my wife. And do you know what will happen as you stay focused, as you, as you discipline yourself to stay focused on your wife? You will rejoice more and more with her. The more you look, the more you're going to want somewhere else. And you know what? It's not just a problem with men. Ladies, you want to enjoy your husband more? Well, I'm really going to step out there now. Stop reading those girly books. You know the ones I'm talking about. Oh, you'd never look at a nudie magazine, but you'd sure read about some super guy who, you know, Lord have mercy, looks like Fabio. When you invest your mind in those kind of thoughts and relationships, you, you disperse your energies away from your husband. You want to think your husband is better looking? You want to think your husband is a better husband? Quit thinking about other husbands. Focus on yours and say, thank God for the man that I have. Marital fidelity or, or trueness to your commitment is required, possible, and the path to real joy in marriage. Galatians 6-7 says, don't be deceived. 
What you sow is what you will reap. If you are investing your thought and energy and time and, and God forbid, actual relationship with other people, you're going to reap a poor marriage. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 26. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey on his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And again, I want to direct this to men and women both. Focus on your husband, your wife. Say no to all those other things that are calling to you out there. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.